Hey podcast, welcome back to another episode. Now you're going to love today's, especially at this time of year going into January, we've got Ben Price Performance Nutrition. So Ben is a nutritionist and let me just say he really, really knows his stuff. You'll find when you're listening to this that he's just got an absolute wealth of knowledge on everything nutrition related. But what he does really well is that he goes a little bit into the nitty gritty, but then always brings it back to an actual actionable advice that you can put into practice so i think you're going to really really enjoy this episode i could go into his background he's worked for various nutrition companies he's worked with olympic athletes all sorts of people i won't list that off because honestly within the first five minutes you're just going to realize that he really knows what he's talking about i think the one true test whether an expert is really an expert is whether they're willing to say they don't know something and you'll notice in the podcast there's certain questions that i ask him and he's more than happy to say I'm not 100% sure about that. I think that's when you really know that somebody is the real deal. They're happy to tell you what they don't know. And that just reinforces that when they're telling you something, they really know. We go into all sorts of topics. We talk about pre-ride nutrition, during-ride nutrition, alcohol and the effects on mountain biking, tons of stuff. So without further ado, let's get straight into the podcast. And I hope you really, really enjoy it. So Ben, thank you for coming on. Um, I think it's safe to say that you've got an extensive background, so I genuinely can't wait to dive in and ask you all sorts of questions. I thought it'd be really nice to start by asking you, why are you so interested and passionate about nutrition? How did that begin? Why do you love it so much? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, I guess I started with... um, sort of the the nutrition interest came about when I was at university. Um, I'd always been kind of interested in endurance and that side of things. And I think realizing when I sort of first got formal sort of taught, taught lectures on it is sort of the realization of the impact that it can have on, on sort of performance and that side of things was what really kind of drew my interest into it. I'd always been interested in things like polar explorers and that side of things, which is, um, yeah, obviously nutrition can play a huge role there. Um, sort of, I think endurance sport, particularly, uh, you know, cycling, you can see, it has such a big influence over how you're able to do, you know, the challenges you can do and your performance and that side of things that it just kind of grew from there. And then obviously working for, a um, working for a nutrition brand for, for a little while, the sort of, you know, you get more questions and that, you know, that kind of drives your own learning and, and you get to know more and more and, and yeah, it just kind of, yeah, it's, it's evolved from there effectively. Um, so did we have you always eaten well when you were younger or were you like a typical uni student out on the lash and eating pizza all the time and then you got more into it how did that develop yeah i think i was i was fairly normal at university so yeah you you kind of um yeah i guess it's um i i guess i'm interested a lot in the the kind of science behind things which you'll probably see from some of the answers that i give later on but um yeah i think you know your own kind of I guess my focus is around sort of performance. So I'm really interested in how we can use kind of nutrition to, to become better athletes and, and perform better. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that's the kind of key area, I guess. So diving into that a bit more then. So why is nutrition so important? So a lot of people, you hear all the time, don't you? Nutrition's important. You've got to eat right. You are what you eat. And I think sometimes the risk that when you hear something so much, 
it almost becomes cliched and people ignore it. So it's ironic, but the things that often stand out on social media are the things that people haven't heard, like the fast for 20 hours a day. And, you know, that's the secret. And then the real basic general nutrition stuff often just gets kind of overlooked. So on a real basic level for people who aren't necessarily super passionate about nutrition, why is nutrition in general so important to us as mountain bikers, but then also just as people who want to perform well through life? I guess I'll I'll start by saying that like my sort of real interest is around the performance, the athlete kind of side of things. Okay. So a lot of my answers will probably geared more towards that. Perfect. But yeah. Yeah, certainly in terms of where nutrition can have impact on on an athlete, there's there's sort of four key areas really. Um so first and foremost we've got health. So what you eat can ultimately impact on you know, how healthy you are, um, things like making sure you consume enough energy to meet your daily needs, you know, having um sort of enough of the sort of you know, vitamins and minerals and, and macronutrients within your diet to, to, to sort of not be deficient in anything. Um, you know, these are kind of aspects of nutrition that are really important when it comes to the health side of things. So um, we know that sort of as athletes, we're quite active, um, you know, sort of staying healthy is really important. If you're, you know, if you're training towards an event, it's really important that you stay free of illness and infection to be able to allow you to train first and foremost. Course, There's, yeah. you know, we have data from elite athletes that shows us that the the less time that you lose to um, illness and infection, um, the more likely you are to succeed at your you know your performance goals effectively yeah. so it's really important athletes to to yeah avoid illness and infection so there's various aspects of diet that, that feed into that and help support health um the next one is training adaptations so when we're when we're training the whole idea of that training is to to kind of cause our body a degree of stress and from that stress the body kind of responds by adapting and, and building back stronger effectively so that you know over time by doing lots of training you know, your performance increases um, and how your body responds to that training has, um, you know, nutrition plays a key role, you know, things like protein for, for muscle building, um, you know, all of the, you know, what you eat around your session can have an impact on how the body responds to it and how much benefit you get from that training session. So you know, the really kind of sexy thing is that, you know, by using nutrition effectively around your training, you can effectively get more benefit from that training without actually having to do additional training if that makes sense so i'm already going to knock you off from before <laughs> then because i don't want to forget to ask you about that so we'll, we'll definitely do all four but when you say that then do you mean something as simple as being doing a workout when you're fueled versus doing a workout when you're not fueled because obviously if you go into the gym i've done it myself where I've skipped a meal, go to the gym and you just knackered. You just, you get in there and within 20 minutes you're lifting lighter. You just feel crappy, don't you? Is that what you mean? Or is there more? A degree, yeah, there's kind of two aspects to it. So the nutrition is going to influence the the amount of stress that you can actually create within that session. So yeah. um, if you think, if you go out on a ride and you, um, you know, you don't fuel it very well and you get two hours in and you, you're absolutely knackered and you come home. Yeah. Um, you know, that's going to be quite a different amount of training stress compared to maybe doing three, four, five hours where it's well fueled and you create a lot more sort of, you know, you, you stress the systems differently. And as a result, you're likely to get far greater improvement in, in sort of fitness from doing that greater amount of training load. So that's one aspect. Yeah. Um, you know, there are, various kind of nutrition approaches we can use around things like fueling around you know using some dietary supplements so things like caffeine and and creatine particularly can help us to get more out of the sessions that we're doing in terms of the amount of work that we do um 
And then also we can, you know, the sort of recovery aspect um, can have an influence there as well. So like okay. optimizing the the timing and the total amount of protein that we have after a session can then sort of help to enhance the adaptations that we get from from that session. And if, as I say, effectively, it's, it's ways that we can use nutrition to get more out of our training without ha- necessarily having to do more training itself okay that's interesting because you fueled better therefore you have a better workout within that hour or five hours or whatever it is and then of course the recovery afterwards you need to make sure you're eating right to recover from that effort exactly yeah okay. and like you know for if we take protein for example um so if you optimize your intake of protein after a session you know you're likely to get more benefit from that session because you are you know uh, effectively if, compared to sort of not eating anything at all you know you're you're giving you know the protein for example provides the building blocks for for repair and recovery so if you're getting the the right intake of that protein after exercise then you know you're effectively going to get more sort of recovery and more building from that session as such um as yeah one example yeah Um, and i am going to ask you more in detail about that later (laughs) on so for those listening who want me to dive in don't worry i'm going to soon um so yeah go on just to go back to it so we've got the health aspect we've got the training adaptations aspect yeah um we've then got the performance aspect so i guess this kind of feeds into training adaptations a little bit in the sense of you know uh, there's a lot of things that we can do with nutrition around competition particularly to try and help us um achieve our sort of full athletic potential you know things about fueling before exercise fueling during exercise hydration um you know there's a lot of different strategies that we can use to try and you know when it comes to a key event uh, you know that could be a, a competition it could be you know just a, a a ride that you've been building up towards um you know there's a lot of different strategies that we can use there to to help make it a little bit easier to to achieve our sort of full athletic potential um there's a good yeah there's a, a instagram i put out yesterday actually which is a kind of famous quote from one of the sort of ogs of of, of sports nutrition a guy called professor ron morn and he said that effectively um you know we can use nutrition um I've got to remember it now. Um, right. It's not like you're on a podcast on the spot. So <laughs> he sort of said that basically you can, you know, you, you can't sort of eat your way to elite performance. You know, nutrition isn't going to make a, an amateur athlete into a professional. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, you can turn a professional athlete into an amateur very quickly using, you know, poor oh, okay. nutrition strategies effectively. So you does can, that apply also to amateurs as well? Absolutely, then? Yeah. So if you're going into an event and you've, you know, you, you've got yourself to a certain level of, course, of fitness, yeah you know, nutrition is there to kind of complement that and allow you to to kind of achieve what you're capable of, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, um, yeah. If you don't optimize, well, if you don't do the right things around nutrition, around going to an event, then it's potentially going to mean that you've kind of, you know, if you've you, you great level of fitness, but you're poorly fueled, for example, yeah. you're not going to be able to kind of enjoy that event or, or put in the performance yeah. that you potentially have the the capability to do there so nutrition essentially helps you tap into that fitness that you built then doesn't it and if you achieve don't your have athletic potential yeah, yeah so, got you yeah absolutely. okay so that's that's you know health uh training adaptations uh performance and then finally body composition okay, which yeah. obviously again kind of relates to the other aspects as well um obviously what we eat um in terms of the total you know, new amount of energy we take in the the nutrients that we take in um can all have an impact around our body composition around you know see nutrition is quite a potent tool for for changing body composition um so that's yeah that, that's the kind of four key areas where um you know, as an athlete performance nutrition can can have a role and by body composition you mean 
how lean or muscular you are, how overweight you are, how you look essentially, isn't it? So how much fat you've got, how much muscle you've got those two things combined really isn't absolutely it? yeah so as you say the amount of you know fat tissue you have within the body the amount of muscle you have within the body um yeah it can even go down to things like bone health as well where where nutrition can play a role yeah so with it's definitely it's not written down it's just coming into my head <laughs> there's a very big um body positivity movement at the moment isn't there like in the media in general sweeping the world essentially which I think he's great on one part because I do think that everybody should be happy. Certainly don't want anybody to be depressed because they don't like what they look, what they see in the mirror. But then on the flip side of it, I think it can sometimes go too far where morbidly obese people are kind of being told it's okay to be that size. There's no health negatives. Like love who you are. Do you have any kind of views around that? There's a deep one for you. 10 yeah, minutes, it's eh? not, it's not an area I've, I've looked into in, in a huge amount of detail, to be honest. That's it fine. is, um, yeah, as, as you say, there's kind of two sides to it in the sense of there are kind of overweight people whereby there is, um, quite a lot of sort of, I guess, almost like things like bias within health professionals. So, you know, you can have overweight people that go and see their doctor about something and then, basically the only response they get from the doctor is have you thought about your weight or you know and and you can actually get people you know there's there's can be a degree of shame around sort of body composition so you can get you know people that will avoid going to see health professionals because of that response yeah and then that then means that you know there can be conditions that go unnoticed and that can have like really sort of negative impacts um yeah, you know, yeah. If you if you go have cancer that's undiagnosed and yeah, you can't get treatment, that's that's pretty devastating. Yeah, so yeah. there's there's certainly that aspect. There is that kind of um, injustice, I guess, within sort of health and um, well, sort of healthcare, I guess. Um, but as you say, yeah, there's a, I think a lot of the other side of it is yes, we know from again, this is not a, a real area of my expertise, but sort of um, yeah, we know that there are you know potentially sort of quite negative downsides to 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 being overweight and and sort of yeah negative health impacts with that so it's it's kind of balancing the two um yeah it's yeah as i say not an area that i've no no no, that's absolutely fine uh, that was that was a question that wasn't written down that popped into my head um no that's great um i think what might work nicely then because as you're saying things i keep getting about 20 (laughs) questions pop up to my head and i can feel that i'm gonna go in a really random direction with everything so as you can see before, I've got a list of various different topics, which I think would be nice. And I think it might work well to keep everything that we're talking about almost structured in a way. So the first topic I wanted to ask you about is your day-to-day nutrition, which really is going to come into all four of those key areas, isn't it? Because what you eat day-to-day, obviously it massively affects your health. It affects whether you're going to train well in your performance. It affects all four, doesn't it? Um, yeah, this one we've already touched on. So how much protein should your average mountain biker eat? Now this is day-to-day, but if yeah. you like, you already touched a little bit before about protein timing didn't you yeah yeah so the sort of um i guess where when it comes to the sort of a, a figure um you know you might have seen that there's a lot of bodies out there i think the world health organization say that we should aim for 0.8 grams of, of protein per kilogram body weight per day um and that's really kind of based around sort of having enough protein for it not to, you know for us not to be deficient okay uh, at, a, at a kind of population level which um obviously as an athlete we're, we're more interested in how much should we consume to kind of yeah. maximize recovery make me feel good on the bike you know be able to to you know have a good weekend of riding effectively and and they're kind of slightly different approaches um 
obviously when we when we ride we have slightly elevated needs of, of for, for protein first and foremost because we actually break a bit of protein down during exercise we use it as a fuel source um fat and carbohydrate are, are the predominant fuel sources but as much as sort of five to ten percent of our energy on a ride can come from protein um, particularly if we don't fuel very well yeah. um you know as as sort of carbohydrate stores in the body become quite low we tend to rely more on on protein so yeah we have sort of slightly elevated needs as a as an endurance athlete and you know in terms of the recommendations it's it's on a kind of sliding scale so generally anything from sort of 1.2 grams per per kg body weight up to sort of you know up to sort of two grams maybe 2.2 grams uh per kg body weight um if you're sort of someone that's trying to sort of um lose fat mass for example and, and sort of trying to maintain muscle whilst you're you're in a calorie deficit so you're not consuming enough energy because that can kind of uh yeah that's oh, that was good thing, so yeah. you'd go so that two so 1.2 grams to 2.2 grams yeah. of protein per kilogram of body weight so yeah. for those people listening so if we had a 100 kilogram person yeah. you're eating 120 grams to 220 grams of protein yeah now the 120 grams is probably fairly easy for most people to get with yeah. some tweaks 220 grams i know from experience <laughs> of doing it myself is a lot of protein isn't yeah, it yeah, yeah. um you mentioned that there's obviously a sliding scale there's obviously there's quite a big difference there in the amount yeah yeah is that based on like training volume? So is it when somebody's training six times a week or twice a day, five days a week, are they needing to aim for that 2.2? Yeah, not? so 2.2 is like the upper end of of, of kind of, um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever recommended going above that. And that's really for kind of quite a specific um, sort of time frame in terms of fat loss where you're, you know, you're trying to, to kind of maintain uh, as right. much muscle okay. tissue as possible. For your general rider, probably somewhere sort of towards the lower end in the middle. Yeah. Uh, around sort of you know a lot of the research at the moment is talking around about 1.6 grams of, of protein per kg body weight um is kind of the the optimal kind of amount for athletes okay generally i think one of the biggest factors that influences protein intake is is actually the total amount of energy that you're taking in yeah. so um you know you can have um yeah if you know tour de france riders for example a lot of those guys will be taking in up to you know two grams per kg body weight be just out of the sheer volume of food that they're eating course, effectively yeah. um for a lot of us yeah towards that lower end um is is kind of yeah 1.2 to 1.6 is is probably about optimal for your your kind of average okay. sort of cyclist really and would that be the same for somebody who just rides twice a week so they let's say somebody rides twice a week and goes to the gym once or twice a week yeah i mean if it, on a sort of training day yeah i'd be i'd be certainly aiming towards that sort of that sort of range i mean even on sort of rest days for example so um one of the key reasons we we you know one of the key things that protein does is it provides the amino acids within protein so that's the kind of yeah the different amino acids that make up you know the whole protein that we consume within our diet um they make up the building blocks for for repair and recovery of of, of muscle tissue effectively um and even, you know, when we do a training session, um, depending on the sort of type of training, our, our muscles can be kind of sensitized to that protein intake for as much as sort of 36 hours after a session. Okay. So even if you're only training a few days a week, the kind of window where that protein is is going to be advantageous to, to recovery and adaptation is, is actually yeah. quite a long window. So okay. the total amount of it as well only really explains kind of a, a small part of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah, it does. Um, 
hitting your total protein is is one bit, but also the timing of it can be quite important. Okay. Um, we've probably all heard at some point that we can only you know 20 to 30 grams is is the maximum amount that we can kind of utilize um, in one sitting in one single sitting yeah um you know i think there's often a confusion between sort of what is protein how much can we how much protein can we absorb and how much of that actually goes into the muscle to to create new muscle tissue for example um so you know i think often people get confused and say actually you can only consume you know, you can only absorb 20 grams in each meal. Actually, our capacity to absorb protein is is quite high. You know, you could, um, you know, you could have 100 grams in a in a meal, and all of that, you know, all of that, well, all of that protein is is likely to be digested and and you know be released into into our into our blood. Um, but whether or not that goes into the muscle is dependent on, um, you know, well, as I say, the, the sort of maximum amount of protein that we see go into the muscle in, in a single feeding is around about sort of 20 to 30 grams at, okay. at the very most. Beyond that, um, generally sort of protein just goes towards breakdown. So it will be burned, you know, effectively converted into fuel and then burned off as, as, as carbohydrate effectively. Um so the what's the practical advice for people to do within that then? So should they try to separate it into five meals of, you know, five chicken breasts to give a really basic, simple, easy to understand, to visualize example? Is that what people should do? Or is it okay for people to eat differently through the day and then perhaps have a much greater serving of portion for dinner when they can sit down and have a steak and eggs or whatever it is. Yeah, a lot of us, to be honest, probably get more than adequate protein within our diet. Okay. Um, you know, generally we, we see, you know, people getting enough on a, on a total basis. But what we often see is kind of, particularly in the Western world, we see that sort of breakfast tends to be quite low in protein. You tend to get a little bit more for lunch and then the bulk of the protein comes in in the evening meal when we have kind of a big serving of it. So yeah. um, what that means is effectively there's something called the, the muscle full hypothesis where basically... Um, Muscle four is a number muscle four. Muscle full. Full, full. sorry. sorry. Yeah. Um, no, 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 fine. That's my accent. Um, <laughs> no, you used to in Yorkshire. <laughs> effectively, when you have a, a serving of protein, there's only about 20, yeah, as I say, about 20 or 30 grams of that that will go into the muscle. Yeah. The rest of it will then be kind of burnt off effectively or used in sort of other other areas of the body yeah. um, rather than just muscle, which is the kind of key thing that we're interested in as, as athletes. Yeah. Um so even if you have 100 grams in in a single serving, yeah. only about 30 of that will be likely going into muscle. Okay. So what what happens is we get sort of you know we have that protein intake, we get a, a peak in what we call muscle protein synthesis, which is the the kind of building of of new muscle tissue, which is one of the key things that we're we're trying to look to do as athletes. So we get an increase in that, and then it sort of you know it peaks and then drops off, yeah. and then what we're effectively trying to do is is get another feeding of protein in to to kind of maximise that response again and that's where the sort of reason why we want to look to get sort of you know anything between sort of four to five servings per day evenly spaced throughout the day so that you're kind of maximizing that sort of window that you get after exercise yeah. where that muscle that protein that you're taking in is being utilized towards building new muscle tissue and, and repair and recovery effectively so what that means is that effectively what we're trying to do is get you know not necessarily eat more protein um but try and distribute it better throughout the day. So having a bit more at breakfast, probably a little bit more at lunch and a yeah. bit more, potentially a bit less at dinner. Um, and then, you know, maybe some sort of protein snack throughout the day to, to kind of get that, those, those four servings. And by doing that, we get this kind of, you know, four peaks over the course of the day, as opposed right. to, you know, if we were to consume it all 
at our evening meal, yeah. you'd get one peak, you know, theoretically 30 grams of that would go into the muscle. And then, you, you know, you wouldn't get a huge amount of benefit to that additional protein. But by distributing over the course of the day, you're maximizing sort of muscle protein synthesis and therefore recovery adaptation and, and you know, which from an athletic perspective, um, you know, if you're serious about your riding and you're wanting to, to sort of maximize, you know, muscle mass or recovery, um, then, then that's really what we want to be doing. Perfect. No, that's great. That makes perfect sense. Then that's easy for people to get their head around as well. 1.2 grams to 1.5 grams um, per kilogram of body weight and try to spread it out through the day. Because you're right, a lot of people will have Weetabix for breakfast, a sandwich for lunch, and then a chicken dinner for dinner. Um, so just trying to evenly spread that out a bit more. Can you, you don't really see it as much now, but there was definitely a phase I became a trainer. How old am I now? 31. 13 years ago, something like that. Now, at the time, there was a lot of hype around protein can be bad for you. You can eat too much protein. It's not healthy to eat too much protein. You don't see as much of that sort of just generally in the world now. Yeah. Can you eat too much protein or not? Uh, I think one of the negatives of eating too much protein is that you, you know, if you're, if certainly if you're hitting those high kind of targets, is that it can kind of displace other nutrients within your diet. Yeah. So, you know, for cyclists, for example, if you see someone on a really high protein intake, often the negative of that is it's displacing, you know, carbohydrate or fat within their diet, yeah, particularly okay. carbohydrate, which is going to have, you know, positive impacts on performance. So, you know, it can be, you know, protein can be quite a satiating nutrient, can be quite filling. Yeah. Um, there's something called the thermic effect of feeding which is you know effectively translate to the meat sweats um you know if you're eating a lot of protein the energy that's required to digest break down and process that protein is is quite a bit higher than than carbohydrate and fat which means that sort of um yeah you can get that sort of well those those kind of protein sweats that you get after after eating and that can kind of drive energy expenditure as well yeah. um but yeah, in terms of, I, I don't think there's really, you know, if you've, if you've got people that haven't got, I think there's certain liver conditions um, whereby, you know, those individuals can't deal with high amounts of protein. And that's definitely a time where you know, it's a medical condition where, where it needs to be avoided. Yeah. But for, for general healthy people, yeah. um, there's not necessarily any downsides to having sort of higher protein intakes it's as i say it's it's the displacement i guess potentially as well it's where you're getting that protein from what you know what sources of of course you yeah. know um, and that's something i wanted to get onto there was was around sort of you know those figures are, are sort of rough guidelines really you know 1.2 to 1.6 for your average average kind of rider is probably a good place to go you know maybe a little bit higher if your energy expenditure is higher and you're burning more or you're in a sort of fat loss phase and you're trying to lose um yeah a bit of fat tissue and hold on to as much muscle as you can yeah um but yeah that's you know it's difficult to kind of i think uh, one of the issues with a lot of these kind of figures is that you know different protein sources have different um sort of compositions of amino acids for example so if, if you know we know that sort of animal-based protein tends to have sort of um sort of better compositions of the essential amino acids um there's an amino acid called leucine particularly which is called the kind of trigger for for muscle protein synthesis so um you know, the amount of leucine that's within, we're getting really in the weeds no, here, no, but um, yeah, the amount of leucine that's within a protein has an impact on, on that muscle protein response. Yeah. Um, so if you're having sources of protein that don't have as much of that leucine in, which is typical of, of kind of plant-based proteins, um, then you can, you know, find that, you know, 20 grams of animal protein isn't going to quite give you the same response as, as, as kind of, you know, um, 
uh, as as a you know a plant based sort of source. Um, so we're sort of seeing you know a, a lot of the research to date has has all been done in sort of um, things like whey protein, for example, because it's uh, it's it's an isolated nutrient. It's just kind of protein effectively um yeah. and that makes it very easy to kind of control things and see you know is it specific other this? variables affecting it exactly yeah there's there's a lot of stuff around sort of you know if we have protein in 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 a salmon fillet for example there's a lot of other stuff going on in that food yeah, that are potentially going to influence the, on the process so a lot of the research to date has been done in 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 way just because it's you know it's an easy thing yeah. it's isolated nutrient helps us determine you know, is it just the protein that's that's having the impact? Um, I think as time goes on, we'll see more and more sort of whole food based kind of stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. So on that note, she started to touch on it slightly. Then I'll ask a long question so you can have your drink. <laughs> um, so taking out the kind of moral aspect of it, um, so somebody doesn't care whether they eat meat or they eat veg, they're not bothered about that side of it. Um, what's better for an athlete or for the people listening to this, the people who are serious about improving the cycling, should they go for animal-based protein? Is it better than um, veggie sources of protein? Probably a mix is is going to be the best option. Yeah. Um, you know, the more variety within our diets, generally the kind of more likely we are to be hitting our sort of targets for things like micronutrients. The more variety we're getting in, the more sort of um, you know, beneficial compounds we're getting from different fruits and vegetables and stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, I, I I wouldn't say sort of one or the other. I'd say it's a combination of 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 different ones. Um, I think often if we're relying on sort of plant-based you have to consume quite a lot of energy to to kind of hit those kind of higher targets so yeah. probably a bit of a mix really um okay. yeah i think generally we don't consume you know we don't just have a meal with one type of food in we have yeah. a kind of mix of of different things so um yeah just just generally a, a mix of different sort of protein sources within each meal is is, is a good way to go and for people who choose to be vegetarian or vegan for moral reasons or religious reasons, whatever that may be, um, they can be at risk, can't they, of missing out on enough leucine and things like that. So what are some basic things they can do to ensure that they get enough protein in? Because like you say, it's harder to get enough, isn't it, from beans and lentils and that kind of thing, just because for the sheer volume of lentils that you have to eat to get the same amount of protein it's much harder to hit isn't it yeah it, it depends on sort of the types of um sort of protein sources that you're using but yeah just getting a good mix in there um of, of, of different options maybe going slightly higher so you know for example if you're having someone who's on a you know animal-based diet they could potentially get away with with slightly less pro total okay. protein yeah. um if you had someone on animal uh, you know a, pl a purely plant-based diet maybe slightly higher just to kind of compensate for for those differences in in amino acids for example okay. um maybe you know uh, as athletes maybe looking at sort of supplementation with you know isolated kind of proteins uh you know pea protein powders that sort of thing just to get a bit of yeah just to try and you know off as you say often it can be quite hard if you're trying to hit those higher numbers with whole foods um, you know with with whole foods can be a bit of a challenge so you know maybe adding one of those kind of four feedings in as a, as a you know a powder or similar can, can yeah, yeah. kind of push it up a bit okay no perfect that's really good feedback um that leads me quite nicely onto the next bit she touched on it then i was gonna ask you about keto yeah. Um, but then I suppose we can extend that in general as well. So I suppose the first part of the question is what are your thoughts on keto? Because I do get the people who follow keto, I think by design, are very passionate about it because in order to follow a keto diet, you have to be really keen and really focused because you can't, 
you can't be ketogenic by accident. Mm. So is there a place for that in performance or should it be totally, you know, cast out what your views around that? Yeah, I, I, I'm generally not a fan of any sort of diet that, that involves restriction of whole food groups. Yeah, um, that you was going to be my you, next question. Yeah, you sort yeah. of, yeah, you sort of, I think you're, you're cutting out a lot of foods that have kind of potential health benefits by by going down that route as you say it's a very difficult diet to kind of follow um i i spoke to a colleague who was involved with a, a performance you know a, a research trial that looked at kind of ketogenic diets on performance um and yeah it sounded you know from they were kind of weighing out foods to give exact quantity you know exact amounts of energy to to the participants and it was it was a real challenge to kind of get enough energy into these these athletes to to keep them ketogenic because it's a very strict kind of threshold for the amount of carbohydrate you you need to have to to be able to do it um i guess i know the most about the performance side of things so in terms of i guess coming at it from more sort of high level performance um yeah we we don't see any sort of high level athletes that are you know really using it particularly if you're you know the the australian institute of sport so um you know a researcher called professor louise burke who's kind of quite a big name in in this kind of area um yeah she has done a lot of um work with yeah, they, they took uh, race walkers, you know, of all the Olympic discipline sports, race walking is probably the one that would potentially be most relevant to, to a ketogenic diet because it's just the duration of it is so long. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the kind of whole idea behind ketogenics, low carb diets is effectively, um, you know, we have going into the weeds a little bit here but sort of we have quite limited stores of carbohydrate within the body. You know, even a well-trained athlete that is got well topped up you know rested they've had a high carbohydrate diet the maximum amount of energy that you're able to store in the form of glycogen which is what carbohydrate is when it's stored within the body um it's probably looking around sort of 2000 to 2500 calories in total so you know we might have anything between you know for a well-trained athlete anything between sort of four to 600 grams of, of glycogen within the muscles and maybe about another 100 grams within the liver um liver looks after our blood glucose so it keeps our kind of you know it's the store that that gets kind of drip fed to keep our our glucose level um and what we see is that that sort of uh even in a well-trained athlete who has a lot of glycogen stored is well rested they only really have enough of that glycogen to last for maybe a couple of hours of very hard exercise um so it's it's kind of you know it's not a yeah, if you're doing endurance tasks that are beyond sort of a few hours, um, it can become a challenge because we have to be reliant on taking in additional carbohydrate to, to maintain performance. So there's a lot of interest, particularly in endurance sport, around trying to improve our body's ability to utilize fat as a fuel source. Yeah. Because effectively, even a relatively lean athlete has you know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of calories worth of fat stored within the body. Okay. Um, and that's enough for days worth of exercise without having to kind of replenish those stores whereas see the the issue with kind of relying on carbohydrate is we have quite limited stores of it it takes quite a long time to to replenish those stores um and and yeah with with ketogenic diets what we generally see is if you've got a sport where um the intensity is lower so if you're you know if you're not having to do really high intensity efforts um sorry i should 
I should chip in here and say effectively when we exercise at low exercise intensities, we can be quite heavily reliant on fat as a fuel source. Um, You know, it it, it takes a bit more time to break down. It requires a bit more oxygen. It's not as efficient as as carbohydrate. It requires more oxygen to produce the same amount of energy, which doesn't really matter too much when you're only at sort of, you know, 40 or 50%. But when you're going above you know, getting to that, those sort of high intensities, um, you know, it gets to the point where fat can no longer kind of keep up with the demands of energy. Um, so I think for people to visualize, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, here, um, so if you're on a typical two hour mountain bike ride, half of that might be riding on the flat or riding up a very gentle incline or traversing up on the moors. So when you're at, you know, zone two, maybe zone three, that's when you're predominantly relying on fat as energy and then when you start to do the hard effort so when you do a descent for example your heart rate's going up you're pounding down the hill when you're going up a steep climb and you're really putting the effort in if you're doing any kind of sprint or explosive work or anything high intensity that's when you use more carb sources absolutely yeah so any sort of breath any sort of work that we do where we're sort of getting out of breath we're working a bit harder the perceived exertion so how hard the exercise feel is starting to go up then yeah there's a good chance that you're going to be more heavily reliant on on carbohydrate as a fuel source and we know that once we get beyond sort of 70, 80% of our, of our maximum, that's the point where we become very, very heavily reliant on, on carbohydrate as a fuel source. You effectively, you know, without carbohydrate, you can't really do those efforts. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've ever gone out and, and blown up on a ride and then tried to do some really hard stuff afterwards, you'll probably know that it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of challenging thing to do. Yeah. And when it comes to performance, if you're out there to try and win a race, um, even if your race is at a steady intensity, and you're heavily reliant on on fat as a fuel source often you know races are won or lost on sprints for the line or you know breaking away on a hill um or you know just putting in more effort for a period of time to to get away from your competitors and that's where you know carbohydrate is is really important and we can't kind of rescue that no matter how well fat adapted we are effectively um you know, carbohydrate, we can burn at a much faster rate compared to to fat. So I guess the interest in things like ketogenic and, and high fat diets is to try and drive the burning of fat to make us kind of better endurance athletes. Um, and that is potentially the case if you're, yeah, there was a really interesting sort of research paper that got published out in New Zealand where the guy sort of basically compared different levels of athlete uh, Ironman triathlon and effectively he sort of showed that you know no matter how well fat adapted a, an elite athlete is for a triathlon where they're trying to aim to finish in a in a time that would be competitive they simply can't burn fat at a rate high enough in right. order to be able to be competitive and, okay. and finish in the time frame that they need to okay. but if you were to take someone who was kind of an age group of triathlete someone who's just kind of looking for a decent time but not necessarily to try and beat everyone yeah uh intensity is a bit lower um you know potentially there because the work demands you know the the the, the sort of speed at which they're working out the energy they're expending doing that speed isn't sort of in excess of what I know you, you know yeah. what you could potentially get to with a you know a low carb diet then that that may be a sort of an a, you know an approach that may be you know it might not be for so. that individual they may prefer to do that exactly just because within that it. context yeah it may God, be yeah. that's that's the case okay. um so yeah from a performance perspective generally if performance is is kind of your focus then it's 
probably not a great approach to go to. Yeah. Um, you know, as I say, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of, of those kind of approaches just because of the sheer kind of, yeah. you know, the challenges with with kind of cutting out those. We don't have, as far as I'm aware, we don't have huge amounts of data on sort of long-term implications of, of these kind of things. I know yeah. with, um, you know, there's a lot of talk around sort of ketogenic diets because you, you sort of have quite, you know, you can end up with quite a low fiber intake if it's not managed properly yeah. um that can have impacts on sort of colon cancer and and that mm. sort of things but yeah from a performance perspective um may work for some level athletes but but certainly not at the sort of top end of yeah. performance i can't imagine there's many people at sort of olympic level that are, are using that approach of course i think as well like it's for for the majority if you're an elite athlete you can do whatever it takes with your nutrition to perform because that is your full-time job but i think for people who you know your everyday person or your amateur even your amateur racer who still wants to give it everything it just makes it so much harder to have like a really restrictive diet doesn't it and i think your advice marries up pretty much with what i advise with people on my app and whatnot is that it's about just making it as easy as possible and um, because you can eat a good healthy balanced diet and just keeping it simple, isn't it? Rather than trying to get really way too obsessed with the nitty gritty and the cutting out food groups. And that just makes it so much harder to stick to. Yeah. I think with keto as well, you get not many people actually test if they're in ketosis. You know, yeah. I think you can get a lot of yeah, people. So people that, eat a keto diet and they're, they're actually eating. burning carbs as fuel and exactly, then just yeah. end up under fuel, don't they? Yeah. Because of you know how how stringent you have to be in the food choices to avoid kind of having yeah. that, that amount of carbohydrate yeah, yeah. The, i think less than 50 grams and even like veg can put you over can't it and things like that it's like super <laughs> it's crazy, low isn't it crazy. okay no perfect that's great um right so a little bit later on we're going to get on to pre-ride slash workout during ride and post ride mm -hmm. but before we do that and um, we touched on it earlier alcohol yeah <laughs> so it's quite nice, actually. I was saying to this to you before. So alcohol is a topic that I don't massively talk about. I think the biggest reason for me is because I don't really drink. Um, and that's just a preference thing. I never have really drunk. I think when I was age 18 to 21, I used to go out partying every weekend. So you get into the binge drinking culture. But my parents never drunk when they were younger. It's not something I've ever picked up. So I always feel... I won't say hypocritical, but I always think because I don't drink and I don't really care about drinking, it's easy for me to say to people, drink less or don't drink because I don't do it. But I know that what we were talking about earlier, you do enjoy your beer, don't you? You like alcohol. Um, you can answer for yourself. <laughs> um, I suppose, what are your views in general around alcohol? And I appreciate for your absolute elite athlete, you know, just don't drink it. I imagine would be the advice, but you can correct me on that. But for your everyday person listening to this who trains several times a week and rides several times a week, but they may enjoy a drink, what are your views around that? Yeah, so uh, as we touched on, I think it's... Um... Yeah, I think the World Health Organization came out fairly recently and said there's kind of no safe sort of dose of alcohol. Um, say I'm not massively well read in, in that kind of area. I don't think I'm not aware of many sort of benefits of of alcohol intake, um, you know, positive aspect, you know, positive impacts of alcohol on health, for example, or certainly there's very little on performance. Um, I think it's one of those things where um yeah, it's it's. I'm not here to kind of tell people how to how to live their lives. I you know I I, I enjoy pint myself. Um, it's I think from a you know the, the area I know a bit more about is from sort of a, a performance perspective. Yeah, yeah, um, so. And I think it's one of those where um, 
there are downsides to, to, to having alcohol around sort of, you know, particularly um, sort of post-exercise, it can have negative impacts on muscle protein synthesis. So the, the kind of rebuilding and, and growth of muscle tissue, that can be reduced by as much as sort of 25% as That's a result of, of having alcohol. Obviously, it's going to be relatively short term. Um, you can have sort of... Um, sort of it can often sort of dis, you know we get it in a lot in sort of team sports where people you know professional players will you know they'll have a good game they've built up to for a long period of time and then sort of you know have a bit of a celebration afterwards and that can be um sort of often we see that that has negative impacts on sort of recovering glycogen stores which as i mentioned are quite important for performance so if you've got kind of a congested sort of uh you know if you're if you're riding one day and then riding the next you know the time period you've got between those two sessions can be quite important for recovery so trying to that's that's you know. interesting i'm sorry to interject because so alcohol is obviously very high in carbohydrate generally um but then that can still affect your glycogen store so if you if you have a big night of drinking that won't necessarily re replenish your glycogen stores yeah so there's i think it's often that it replaces you know it doesn't necessarily um sort of block carbohydrate absorption into the muscles but it often like if you start drinking immediately after training yeah you know the the impact then is that you don't necessarily have the optimal sort of recovery meal that you would right. normally okay. and then the sort of drink is replacing that side of things so yeah it's negative impact on sort of muscle protein synthesis it's probably not great from from sort of a, a glycogen recovery perspective um it's obviously can be quite a lot of calories so you're you know, you're ending up sort of you know a few drinks can add up into into quite a bit which can then sort of push you into to excess and it's obviously gonna have negative impacts around things like sleep as well so you know all of these things which are kind of critical for recovery it's having a negative sort of impact on so from you know for your everyday kind of rider it's probably best to avoid it around those times where sort of training is important or you know say you've gone away you know you've gone to a trail center for a weekend and you're yeah. trying to do two you know you want to make the most of the time that you've got away and, and get as much riding in as you can you know the the time period between those two days is probably not a great time to be to okay. be drinking yeah that's good advice but if you're you know if you're maybe riding on a tuesday and then you're not touching the bike again for a few days um you know that can potentially be a, a time when you know you're able to fit it in where it's yeah. not going to have a huge impact on what you're doing in in subsequent sessions sort of thing so um yeah i think it's yeah, I mean, I think that's good practical advice. There's obviously a lot of downsides to drinking it for people who do want to drink. Just trying to time it throughout the week is really good advice. So if you're going racing, I know a lot of people who go to Hard Rock and do whatever you want. Like it doesn't matter to me, but I know that there's a big culture around practice on Friday from memory. Yeah. Race on the Saturday. A lot of people practice on Friday, get bladdered on Friday night and then race Saturday. I'm not talking about the people who are placing top 5%. Um, I suppose part of it for them is that's the fun of doing that, yeah. which who am I to say don't do that. But then for performance, it's probably not the best thing to be doing. Um, there's a big culture in mountain biking of having a beer after a ride. Like it's huge, isn't it? It's not so much from what I understand in the road cycling world, although I'm not a roadie, I don't understand. It's very much more around because generally roadies on that note will often be very much into the nutrition won't they like the the really like keen on it performance focused i think yeah, yeah mountain bikers it's a lot more hip a lot more cool if you like and there's not as much focus on it um but there is a big culture of having a pint or two after a ride is that bad should people not be doing that um get you ostracized from the mountain bike community now yeah, as I, say, I think <laughs> it depends on what your you know what level at what your goals are that 
kind of aspects really um as yeah. i say you know the the negative impacts it has on sort of you know on 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 recovery in terms of muscle protein synthesis in terms of glycogen recovery in terms of the you know the knock-on impact on sleep um it, it's probably not if if performance is your focus then you know it's probably not a great thing to be doing yeah. um i mean you look at you know a lot of professional athletes you see two of the france riders where you know they're in the middle of a grand tour probably one of the most arduous physical kind of events in the world and you know often they'll still if they've had you know a stage win on that day they'll they'll potentially have a glass of wine or a glass of champagne so it's not you know it's not going to completely destroy your performance the next day um there is some interest around sort of um i, I guess the recommendation is if you are going to have a beer after exercise probably the best thing to do is actually get some food in first before you start drinking oh, okay. because that way you're kind of getting on top of that glycogen recovery yeah um before you're sort of you know having excess alcohol potentially yeah um so eat before you eat before you drink yeah and then sort of if you are going to go for a beer go for something that's not sort of super high alcohol um there's i i think there's been some interest around sort of using low alcohol beer for rehydration right um sometimes things like sodium within the drink well within the beer can help with sort of fluid retention um and it's yeah there's probably not a huge amount of difference in terms of fluid retention between sort of plain water and a sort of low alcohol beverage after exercise so okay. yes you you kind of you know the three key aspects of of recovery from a nutrition perspective is refuel so get some carbohydrate back in your system rehydrate which is you know consume adequate fluid to kind of compensate for for anything you've lost during exercise and then rebuild which is the protein aspect so if you've kind of dealt with the you know the the sort of rebuild and and replenish with you know a meal with some carbohydrate and protein in after after the session you know the the, the fluid there will help with with re rehydration yeah, particularly yeah. if it's a kind of weaker you know two three percent kind of beer yeah I think that's really, really good advice. I think it's something that people can easily take on board that. Um, so I suppose the worst thing you can maybe do is finish your ride at 8 p.m., have a beer, don't have anything else, and then just go to bed. Yeah. If you're having a good meal in there and, you know, and you're having a beer, then it helps kind of take the edge off is the wrong word, but it supports everything, doesn't it? No, that's really... Uh, yeah, I think that I guess there's probably some effect of alcohol on sort of appetite suppression and that sort of things. Yeah. Or if you're if you're taking in loads of calories from from multiple drinks, yeah. then you know you're not necessarily going to feel like eating loads of calories in food that's going to be more supportive of, of performance. There's also the diuretic effect of alcohol as well. Um, so you know if you're having um, sort of weaker beer, the kind of the fluid within that beer is kind of offsetting that diuretic effect of 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 the alcohol because there's not a lot of alcohol in there but you're getting a lot of fluid so okay. that can sort of help with with the rehydration side of yeah. things oh that's really good so people yeah when people go to the pub just literally going for the lower percent beer yeah is going to be better than the high percent yeah, yeah. that's a simple yeah, switch go, for people to make don't go straight on the spirits and the shots yeah, yeah. Go. <laughs> shot of vodka straight after the ride <laughs> no perfect that's really good um and i think like you touched on before the last thing that you ever want to be doing and i'm the same is preaching and telling people what to do and what not to do but i think when people have the information, they can make a decision then. Um, and it's a sliding scale as well, isn't it? Like your absolute elite athlete can, he's probably going to go cold turkey around the times, you know, of... Um, well, if that's how they're making their living, it's... Exactly, uh, you know, yeah. You want to do yeah. the best. It's, um, you know, we look at downhill, for example, and, and you know, probably back in the 80s, it was a bit different. And, you know, five points was probably the minimum before yeah, a downhill course. race. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, things have changed a bit. The, the athletic progression has, has kind of come on. And, yeah, it, it's dependent, you know, for, for your average rider who's probably riding, um, you know, a few times a week and, and they're not necessarily the hardest sessions in the world. Yeah. Um, it's probably not going to do 
vast amounts of harm um yeah it's just yeah looking at it from from that perspective yeah no that's perfect um so pre-ride nutrition i'll allow you to uh, (laughs) yeah what should people eat what should people do what should they not do yeah it's it's really going to be uh, without wanting to kind of cop out and and not give a kind of clear answer it's really going to be dependent on the demands of the kind of sessions that you're doing obviously how you approach a you know a one hour ride around a trail center where you know you're stopping every five minutes to to chat to your mates is going to be quite different from you know lining up on the start line of a you know a, a six hour mountain bike marathon where you, you know you're going up big hills and you're trying to ride pretty hard so yeah it, it's yeah, you've got to kind of individualize these things to 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 what you're kind of trying to do. Um, I guess before I get into sort of how to approach it, I want to talk a little bit about why the sort of uh, a little bit about the science behind sort of fuel use and and that side of things because that's ultimately what influences um yeah the what approach you take and yeah, as perfect. i say w- when we sort of exercise, there's we'll ignore um, that. Carry on. There's, <laughs> there's um. When we exercise, there's kind of two main fuel sources that we use, so carbohydrate and fat. Let's say we've got very kind of almost unlimited reserves of, of fat within our body, enough for days worth of exercise. We're, we don't really have to be ever worried about depleting those. But carbohydrate is, is, as I say, something that we've got relatively limited stores of. A key kind of training adaptation that we get, so if we go from you know not riding at all to riding a lot and becoming a, a more trained, a, a better standard of rider, one of the key things that how our body responds is to to actually increase our body's ability to to store glycogen mm-hmm. um so glycogen uh, is the name for carbohydrate when it's stored within your muscles and your liver um so yeah for, for probably a low level athlete it's maybe three or four hundred grams in total throughout the body um which you know that's probably about sort of um yeah 400 grams of, of of carbohydrate is you know a gram of carbohydrate is four calories so you know 400 grams or something that's that's 1600 calories of of, of energy stored within the body uh, as, as as carbohydrate um and we know that sort of um yeah, as I say, when we exercise, carbohydrate is the main fuel source that we use for for high intensity exercise. Without adequate carbohydrate in, we sort of almost eliminate those top gears. So that those ability to produce high powers, explosive efforts, you know, ride fast up hills, um, you know, ride fast down hills, you know, pedal quickly. That's all kind of quite heavily reliant on on carbohydrates a fuel source. And also, what we know is that sort of when when those glycogen stores start to reduce so if we go out on a ride and don't fuel at all um what we generally see is our sort of muscle glycogen stores will 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 sort of generally break down as as we use that energy up and when they get to low levels that's generally the point at which we start to see fatigue so we start to you know the how hard exercise feels sort of goes up um you know, and generally when they get to very low levels, that's generally at the point where we fatigue, we bonk, we blow up, um, particularly in those that um, are sort of a bit more trained as well. That's, you know, if you're sort of oh, okay. very, very new to riding, um, you know, the fatigue is going to be the mechanisms of fatigue. So what's causing you to slow down is going to be slightly Just different. Because you're unfit. Yeah. Got it, but yeah. as you become sort of fitter, that sort of glycogen depletion becomes more sort of apparent and and that's as i say when we run out of carbohydrate within the body to use that's when we kind of bonk blow up hit the wall um we become you know we start searching for for whatever food we can find you know you, you dig out that energy bar that's been in your backpack for <laughs> three years and it's two years out of date um you know you you start looking at sort of the bushes and seeing what's what's edible what's um <laughs> you know getting to the nearest service station for a for a mars bar and a can of coke whatever um but yeah that's what kind of happens when we don't have enough sort of fueling on board so you know effectively um 
you know, and, and when we start exercise, the, you know, the, the sort of lab research behind this sort of stuff has shown us that our exercise capacity, so uh, basically how hard, how long we can exercise for a set intensity. So if I was to, you know, wheel your turbo trainer out in a second, um, put you on the front, you know, front here and get you to ride at say, you know, 60% of your max um, and get you to ride as long as you could until you became fatigued. Um, if I fed you different diets containing different amounts of carbohydrate, what we generally see is like a linear relationship with the amount of carbohydrate you have in your system, you know, so in, in the form of glycogen, and how long you can exercise for before you blow up and, and hit the wall effectively. So what we generally look to try and do before exercise, particularly if we're riding for more than sort of two or three hours and there's going to be some intensity in there, you're going to be working hard, you may be riding with people that are sort of a better standard from you or you know you, you know that it's going to be hard work what you generally want to do is to at least start exercise with enough glycogen on board yeah. to make sure that you've got you know as much kind of capacity in in your system as, as possible and this is where sort of carb loading sort of originates from is that we know that the more glycogen you have in your muscles in your liver before exercise the more the longer it is before you fatigue and, and, and blow up effectively. So um, that's the kind of, you know, it's a big basis of, of kind of modern sports nutrition guidelines is around sort of trying to maximize the carbohydrate you have in your system before exercise so that you've got as much capacity as possible. And then for, you know, we know that that sort of carbohydrate, you know, that if you've got sort of five or 600 grams of carbohydrate stored within your muscles and your liver before exercise, that's generally probably enough for sort of two, two and a half hours of, of hard activity. You know, lots of breathless work. Um, yeah. You know, probably a lot longer if it's, a, if it's a steadier ride, if you're not working as hard, if there's a lot more sort of, you know, a lot more breaks and stuff, you're, or you're riding more on flat terrain where you're not working as hard. Um, yeah, there's, there's kind of, uh, it, it could be longer before you kind of get to those, that point. But certainly if I was to, you know, feed you up with a decent amount of carbohydrate, get you on your bike and, yeah. and ride you pretty hard, um, you know, after a couple of hours, we'd start to see sort of, you know, you, you becoming fatigued. And if I was to drive a needle into your muscle, take a little sample of your muscle out and look at the amount of glycogen that was left in, in there, um, then we would know sort of, yeah, it, there's a very high likelihood that there'll be not a lot left in, in, in that muscle. So um, what that means is that effectively for, you know, because we have that sort of limited reserve of, of, of glycogen in, in, in muscles and liver, um, sort of once we get to, you know, we certainly for activity that's beyond a couple of hours in duration. We want to make sure that we start exercise with enough glycogen in the system. And then also if we start going beyond sort of, you know, an hour and a half, two hours where those stores are likely to be starting to get low, that's where actually fueling on the bike starts to become beneficial for performance by having additional carbohydrate, which kind of maintains our body's ability to use carbs as a fuel source um then it means that we can maintain performance and you know it becomes longer before we we become fatigued effectively and for for a lot of people that's you know that's either in the sense of performance we're able to produce more watts or it just means that the the ride is less miserable yeah of <laughs> you course know, yeah you're yeah. not getting to the there's nothing life. worse is than being hungry and just trying to keep powering away when you're absolutely so i suppose what one big thing that i've taken from that then is how much more important pre-ride nutrition is to during the ride you can almost, most of my rides, you know, the upper limit of a day-to-day -day ride would be three hours generally. Um, so really for the bulk of my performance from a nutrition point of view, it's all about what I eat before the ride, isn't it? Absolutely. What's the window, would you say? So is it all about what you eat in the two meals before or is that one day, two day, three day? 
Yeah, so from um, it, it's, <laughs> it depends, um, which is a bit of a cop out. <laughs> no, answer, no, I think everything's like that. It's, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, in terms of like how quickly you utilize that fuel is going to be dependent on a lot of different things. So, like, you know, your training status, you know, how good of an athlete you are, the better oh. the athlete, the more they're able to utilize fat as a fuel source up to high intensities, the right. more carbohydrate they have, the longer it's going to be. You know, things like environment, so hot temperatures, if we become really dehydrated. So, if you're, you know, out in the winter and you're wearing, you know your waterproof onesie yeah. or whatever and you're getting really hot and sweaty you know, that can break down carbohydrate you know, those glycogen stores faster um than, than interesting. If, if you were cooler sort of thing um you know things like so when you overheat yeah you break down carbs faster i don't know that yeah That's so as you become dehydrated um effectively the the delivery of oxygen to the muscles can become sort of less and therefore that kind of shifts uh the less oxygen you have the more oh, wow you become reliant on those kind of anaerobic processes which are more um using sort of carbohydrates as a fuel source effectively right, so okay. there's a lot of different factors that will influence the rate at which so i can't really give sort of individual sort of and even if you've got sort of expensive lab equipment to to measure how much carbohydrate you utilize you know it changes over the course of a ride anyway because you'll start off you know if your glycogen stores are full to start with the ride yeah you'll burn a lot more carbohydrate to start with as those start to drop off you become more reliant on, on fat as a fuel source oh, okay, okay. um so it's yeah so what about the for the pre-ride nutrition so yeah. what how is that kind of does that start two days before the ride i mean obviously it does but i suppose what i'm getting at is when if you know that you're going out on a big ride on saturday yeah. let's say and for argument's sake you're not exercising for the rest of the week just to keep things simple yeah, yeah. when should people really start looking at the nutrition and perhaps starting to carb load a little bit so eating yeah. a bit more pasta a bit more potatoes yeah, so the the rate at which carbohydrate goes into our muscles is kind of limited. It's not a case, like, okay. you know, it's not like going to the petrol station with your car on Saturday morning. Uh, on Saturday morning, and, and sort of topping up your tank and, and being ready to go. Yeah. Um, the the rate at which kind of carbohydrate stores is dependent on a few different things. It's fastest when those stores are empty. Okay. So after immediately after exercise, those first couple of hours is a time where we get really fast glycogen storage within within the muscles. Yeah. Um, if you're sort of, um. Yeah, if if you're sort of already sort of half topped up, it's a much slower rate. So generally the sort of the the time it takes to kind of go from sort of modest levels to to kind of full levels yeah. of glycogen is around about 24 to 36 hours. Okay. But that's really, you know, the main driver of glycogen storage is the intake of carbohydrate. Yeah. So it's going to depend on, you know, if you've got 36 hours but you don't eat any carbohydrate, it's you know, your, your glycogen stores aren't going to change a huge amount. Of course. Um and if you get in sort of, um, yeah, that, that sort of 24-hour window is really dependent on quite high amounts of, of, of carbohydrate to, to get it into the system effectively. Um, and that's kind of drip-fed over that 24-hour period. So if you're, you know, really, we've got to assess what we're doing in terms of the activity itself. So if you're, as I say, if you're going out for a, a sort of 40-minute ride with some mates on a yeah. flat terrain, you know, most of the time is kind of chatting away. You obviously do not need to be cramming in carbohydrate for that. So, <laughs> but if you're... You but know, if you're doing a six-hour enduro event over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday... Yeah, absolutely. That's the time when it's going to be of, of benefit. If you're, you know, effectively the way to assess it is if you're going to be out for more than a few hours 
um, and those yeah. few hours are going to be of a d- decent intensity, then it's very likely that getting a bit more fuel in before is going to be advantageous to your yeah. to your enjoyment and your performance on on the ride. Um, so yeah, generally we look at sort of twenty four hours before, maybe maybe even thirty six. So starting at sort of you know maybe even Thursday evening meal, um, you know certainly Friday morning if you're riding on on Saturday morning yeah. as a time frame to to kind of get it in. And in terms of the sort of um, the textbook guidelines, oh the twenty, ah, I think I missed on the stood that then so the 24 hour it's almost like a 24 hour deadline am i getting that right 24 hours before so if you start the ride at 10 a.m on saturday yeah you need to have a lot of your fueling in your system by 10 a.m friday no so basically oh, okay. you would you would start fueling at sort of you know if you were to leave it to the last minute effectively yeah. you'd probably start at 10 a.m on the friday morning right so and then it's 24 hours to the event and you drip yeah. feed up to it and then yeah. by the time of the event you go sorry i did understand yeah, yeah, correctly yeah. got it yeah so you're, you're using that sort of 24 hour window to to kind of maximize storage effectively got so it, yeah. um the the kind of textbook recommendation on this and this is geared more at sort of quite well trained athletes so probably more you sort of you know, certainly a mountain biking, you kind of mid-level, mid to upper level races, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it depends on your individual sort of fitness. As I say, one of the key adaptations we get to sort of doing more training is is a well-trained athlete will be able to store more glycogen than an untrained athlete. Is that just because they have bigger muscles and they've got more muscle to store? Or is it because the body is more effective at storing the glycogen? It's a combination of, of oh, you know, more muscle potentially. Um, the sort of enzymes that are responsible for sort of storing carbohydrate are, are regulated, so they've become better at doing their job. Right, yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know, don't hold me to that, the, the exact mechanisms, but it's yeah, yeah. what we generally see is that sort of the higher the standard of the athlete, the more yeah. glycogen they can store. So that then means that sort of, you know, we, we have to kind of individualize things a little bit so that, you know, you don't necessarily, if you're a novice rider, you've bought your bike last weekend and you go into a trail center for a two-hour ride this weekend you probably don't need to be hitting really high intakes um but if you are sort of you know an enduro rider who's you know racing at a, a reasonable level and you, you're trying to do a good weekend then yeah sort of something up upwards of well up to sort of 10 grams of carbohydrate per kilogram body weight per day in that loading phase is what's required okay um so we're looking at sort of 10 grams per <coughs> kilogram of body weight so for a 70 kilo rider you're looking yeah. at 700 grams ah, of carbohydrate. so it's way above what you can actually store then isn't it yeah the idea being is that when you are taking that carbohydrate over the course of the day you're going to use some you're going to use some yeah and then so you store need some. Right. You basically kind of create, a lot of that isn't it yeah wow you're, you're creating a situation where you are sort of in a calorie def uh, a calorie excess for you know because effectively what you're trying to do is drive that carbohydrate storage and if you only eat what you need for that day then you're effectively going to end up in the same place come saturday morning you've not stored any additional yeah. carbohydrates so you need you need that excess to to drive that storage effectively okay um, so does that mean that so for people who are doing some kind of big event on a saturday or whatever that they should carb load just to be safe so it depends as i say it really i it really depends on the demands of the event that you're doing and this is what, let's assume that yeah. it is a really tough event yeah. so it's uh, the people who do three enduros a year yeah. and they've got that enduro so for them it's a big event so assuming that it is a really tough event not necessarily talking about just your saturday ride but it is a big event yeah. they are better to carb load as opposed to just eating normally yeah yeah absolutely there's going okay. to be benefits to having more glycogen available particularly you know the thing with enduro is that you're you're not just looking at f- you know, you're not just looking at practice day, you're actually not really looking to perform until the the, yeah. the Sunday. Um, certainly when I kind of was racing enduro, I wish I knew a lot of this stuff that I know <laughs> now, because I probably could have been a better rider. But, you know, you, you 
I remember looking back at, I mean, obviously being from an XC background, I sort of, um, yeah, we, we didn't sort of hang about when it came to sort of practice. You'd often try and get a couple of runs of tracks in. I don't, you know, obviously the different sort of events these days, different formats are there and, and sort of, um, you know, different amounts of practice are available. But if you're, you know, if you really want to go and perform well at an event, you generally want to get as many sort of practice runs as you possibly can in and do as many sort of uh, runs as you can. So effectively you end up, you can end up doing a ver- almost a bigger day on the bike on the Saturday yeah. before the Sunday. So, you know, if you're, um, <clears throat> you need to factor that in, in terms of fueling. So yeah, definitely starting on the Friday, you know, even the Thursday evening, yeah. getting in that sort of high amount of carbohydrate. Generally it's, it's a time where sort of we're looking to consume more sort of, guess more refined carbohydrates that was literally almost. my next question yeah. yeah so what so 700 grams uh sorry that wasn't 700 grams that was if you were 70 kilos yeah. 10 grams per kilogram yeah. and then yeah what should that look like then so as i say this is this is geared more towards the highly trained athletes if you're okay. a lower standard you know maybe five or six grams per kg okay. even six or seven grams per kg it's kind of a little bit of experimentation really Got around it. sort of uh what you're doing um to to see what kind of works for you and and ultimately it's gonna be dependent on your sort of ability to expect you know your your level of fitness obviously someone that can do uh you know someone that goes around an enduro course in three hours and is doing average of 250 you know 300 watts for that that time period is obviously going to expend a lot more energy (laughs) have a much greater carbohydrate requirement than someone that's doing it 150 watts if that makes sense so um but yeah from from the perspective of a a kind of well-trained athlete yeah definitely sort of using more refined carbohydrates um you know if you're trying to get sort of 10 grams per kg body weight from kind of oats and bulgur wheat and and that side of things you're going to be struggling in terms of sheer volume of food so um but actually kind of getting you know at breakfast it's maybe swapping oats out for maybe like a more breakfast cereal rice krispies that sort of thing adding in some you know some from fruit juice and and some toast with that you know so getting a decent serving at breakfast maybe adding in you know a snack of something like rice pudding um or a bagel with with banana during the day you know and then sort of looking at lunch and evening meal and again sort of maybe a, a snack in between there that's sort of you know looking at the plate and thinking right okay big serving of rice or pasta or you know whatever your preference is to kind of get that sort of intake of, of carbohydrate that you need to to be able to do that and yes it's not you know it's not an approach that you're adopting every single day it's it's kind of a one-off approach there's yeah as as kind of nutrition strategies go there's not really a huge amount of downsides to carb loading okay you know? so it can go badly for you if I you mean, overeat on carbs on the if friday you overeat on carbs it's the reality is it's probably getting stored as glycogen right um if you're a reasonable trained level athlete so there's there's not really any sort of downsides to it yeah okay if you might go into a little bit you know you're you're going to be in a calorie excess for a day but it's a single day and it's you know the context is that's ahead of a, right, a weekend yeah, where you're probably going to be doing four, six, you know, seven, eight hours on the bike yeah. uh, with huge energy expenditure. So, you know, a, a mistake I see a lot of athletes making is kind of doing the ride and then thinking about the nutrition afterwards. Yeah. Actually, you know, the fueling before is what's really going to have the beneficial impact on on how you feel on 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 the day sort of thing. Yeah, so, go um, yeah. So that's in terms of before, yeah, the day before we're generally looking to, to kind of load up. And then if we've done that right, we don't actually have, 
necessarily have huge amounts of work to do in in the morning in terms of if you're waking up on a Saturday morning and, and heading straight out. So, you know, rather than having to try and cram in a massive breakfast that's going to sit heavy on your stomach as you as you start riding, you can kind of get away with having a slightly lighter meal that's okay. that's not as heavy to digest so that you're kind of, you know, light and ready to, to head straight out sort of thing. So, so if you fuel correctly on the, if this hypothetical race is on the Saturday, you fueled yeah. correctly on the Friday, so you're full up and ready to go. Yeah. Saturday morning, rather than going for the full English to keep you fuller for longer, it might be better going for something a bit smaller. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So unless you're doing any sort of rigorous physical activity overnight, which, um, <laughs> you know, maybe before a bike race you, you abstain from, your muscle glycogen will not change overnight okay unless you yeah you're moving a lot yeah um liver glycogen which i say so muscle glycogen is the main store that's probably you know well-trained athlete probably four or five hundred grams of, of of carbs um you know sort of 1600 to 2000 calories the liver as you say which is a much smaller store so it's only probably somewhere between sort of 80 to 100 grams but it is plays a really important role in, in looking after our blood glucose and that can reduce by as much as 25% overnight. So we're looking to kind of, you know, the, the whole point of breakfast is to just to fine tune things a little bit, get a little bit more glycogen into muscles if you can, but really top up the liver. Um, so breakfast wise, yeah, go for something that's kind of quite light. Um, yeah. Something that's going to be easily digested so that by the time you get on the bike, you're not sat with a, you know, that, that black pudding isn't come back to haunt you on the, <laughs> yeah. on the, on the first climb. So yeah. And, and in terms of, um, you know, when it comes to breakfast, I, I read quite an interesting study recently where they kind of got some people into the lab and looked at like when they had quite a high carbohydrate breakfast. So this was a breakfast with 2.5 grams of carbohydrate per kg body weight. So if my math is right, that's, you know, for, for a 70 kilo athlete, that's what, 175 yeah, grams yeah. of carbs um which is you know a lot quite a lot of carbs <laughs> so it's basically like it was a bowl of of, of cornflakes um with some orange juice and toast and jam effectively so you kind of typical breakfast that we'd recommend before a big day of riding because it's light it's got lots of carbohydrate it's it's fairly you know easy to digest and break down um they measured glycogen before and after that three hours after that meal and only that meal would only increase muscle glycogen by 10%. Whoa, wow. So you can imagine if you're kind of relying on breakfast. Yeah, it's you know, nowhere near, isn't it? <laughs> it's nowhere near yeah, enough. I mean, obviously with with that sort of three hours, I mean, that's a, a breakfast that should be digested and, and broken down quite quickly. Um, so there was probably a, a reality of some of that carbohydrate was in circulation. Some of it was probably still in the stomach. So, you know, you, you might get it more, but it gives right. you an impact of like, yeah. you know, if you're just relying on breakfast, you're screwed. You're potentially <laughs> yeah. too late if you're doing. If you're a, not you're, eating well the day if you're before, doing a big day. Yeah, yeah so of course. Going for something that's kind of yeah, be, having something that's quite light um, is is kind of key there. You may it obviously depends on the sort of type of riding that you're doing as well as to what you go for for breakfast. If you're going to be going out and going, you know, smashing it from the off, you're going to be out of breath. You're, you're going as hard as you can. Obviously, you don't want something that's going to be really heavy. Of course, yeah. Um, so that's where things like you know, your rice, your breakfast cereals, your rice krispies, your your cocoa pops, your frosties are probably, you know, they're generally a pretty poor option for most people's breakfast. But you know, ahead of a big ride, they're 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 not a bad thing because they're quite light and, and quite easy to break down. Um, if it's going to be a lower intensity ride, you're not going to be working as hard. Um, you're maybe not riding till later. We can get a little bit more sort of protein in in that meal. Got maybe it. going for a bit more, you know bit more yogurt or, or or an omelet or something just to give you that you know fill you up a little bit more and, and give you something so that you're not hungry by the time you, you kind of get out on the bike so um my friend chris has got yeah chris Lowe nutrition he's got quite a 
this kind of something called the law of halves. So the textbook recommendation, um, and again, this is more aimed at sort of high level athletes is that like, if you've got four hours out, aim for sort of four grams per kg body weight. Um, but basically, yeah, that, as I say, that's Over really four hours, four hours before. So if you're oh. eating a meal four hours before a ride, yeah. you've got more time there to digest that meal. So you can potentially get more fuel in during that time period. Okay. So go for a bigger meal. I mean, as I say, four Four grams per kg is is the textbook recommendation, but that's really aimed at people doing sort of competition where it's very high intensity and more aimed at high intensity sort of stuff. But the principle is the same that effectively you can have more sort of solid food, more a heavier meal if you've got four hours to digest it than if you're eating something in, in the hour before effectively. Got it, yeah. So if you, as you get closer, you kind of taper down the amount of, of, of carbohydrate you have or the size of the meal, the, the, how light the meal is. So if you're, you know, if you're eating sort of an hour before the ride, sort of toast and jam is, is probably a pretty good option because it's light and it's giving you some fuel. But if you've got three or four hours, you could potentially have, you know, porridge and an omelet it, yeah. um, sort of thing to, to, to get some fuel in. If right. Over a longer period of time. Yeah. yeah, of course it does. You want, effectively, you want to start exercise with your muscles full and your belly empty yeah so you're you know okay. you're, you're giving yourself time to digest what you're you're taking in got you that's perfect i could ask you a hundred more questions <laughs> and keep going for another hour but for the last kind of 15 minutes i've asked in so the mtb for app the app that i've got as a private facebook group i put a question in there last night asking for questions for you okay. so i thought it might be nice to put you on the spot there's nothing yeah. crazy don't worry <laughs> to put you on the spot and ask you some follower questions um yeah to get some answers for them if that's all right yeah, with yeah, you no worries. so um yeah this is a good one <laughs> this is definitely not a small topic how do you balance fueling workouts and rides against losing weight i've piled nearly six kilograms on since hitting my mid 40s besides being really strict about a healthy diet and still working out six days a week um so yeah she's putting a load of weight even though she's been strict with a diet and she's working out five or six days a week so how do you get that balance between fueling your workouts and your rides this is something i can relate to actually because i i used to be a full-time personal trainer now i'm sedentary i set my laptop all day so over a period of a couple of years i put on weight without really realizing it so i think about about 10 kilos something like that and then the process of losing it for me it was the first time i'd had to actually do a diet if you like and really watch my calorie intakes if i didn't i just stayed the same weight and i definitely didn't have as much energy on my ride because you're in a calorie deficit um to answer, I suppose, from my side of it, I suppose it's understanding that whilst you're losing weight, you aren't going to have as much energy because the aim is to lose the weight. For me, it was a matter of, right, I'm going to get from 88 kilos. I got down to about 78 kilos. And I knew that in that process, it was going to be harder to train, harder to ride as much as I wanted to. But that's because the aim wasn't for me to fuel those efforts. It was to lose the weight. And then after that, you can switch to your maintenance and eating more. Um so yeah, that would be my answer to it. But yeah, what's, what's your view? Yeah, yeah, some really good points there in terms of, you know, you've got to kind of accept to some degree that um, there may be impacts on on performance. You know, ultimately, if the, the kind of the weight loss goal is ahead of performance, then, you know, when you are in a deficit, it's kind of, you know, that is going to have some impact on, on your ability to perform. Um, I guess, first and foremost, it's kind of trying to make sure that the deficit that you're going into, so how how many calories you are restricting by is is kind of relatively modest. What we generally want to do to try and maintain performance is to not go 
super crazy and super heavy in terms of you know cutting the diet in half and and taking away half the food sort of thing because the impact of that is that it's going to really negatively impact on performance so taking a more sort of slow and steady approach not going you know maybe sort of 10 to 20 percent at the very most you know somewhere around sort of like 500 calories a day is is probably around about the point where you know we will all ultimately experiment with it see what works for you what doesn't um but yeah, sort of going fairly modest with a deficit will have limit the impact that it has on on sort of performance. Um, you know, we know if we go to if we're training a lot and we go very heavy with a calorie deficit, we can. Um, there's a condition called relative energy deficiency in sport, which is effective energy. It comes as a result of something called low energy availability. Now, when we exercise, we expend energy that the body can't really kind of compensate for. So you imagine if you took in 2,500 calories per day, but you did on that day 2,000 calories worth of of exercise, the body has no means in which, apart from making you feel tired, has no means in which to kind of control for that uh, expenditure. So that's, you know, 2,000 calories gone. That leaves you 500 left for, you know, supporting normal physical function um and that can be you know long term that can have some really negative impacts on on health and performance um you know in female athletes we can see athletes who are not on hormonal contraceptives losing their periods um which is obviously has really negative impacts long term on on performance health fertility uh you know that has impacts on bone health and and these kind of things um in males we get a you know a, a, just a complete nosedive of, of of sex drive um you know so yeah we have to be quite careful with not going too extreme with with the calorie deficit um in terms of sort of you know going back to what you're sort of saying yeah sort of looking at the sessions that you're doing and and trying to be quite strategic with how you fuel them so if you are doing a session that is low intensity you know you're going out and it's you know riding along a canal path you're not you're not out of breath you're not working too hard that's a perfect opportunity where you know you could probably go into that a little bit more tired a little bit more restricted yeah but still maintain the training quality get the get what you want to out of that session but equally if you are doing quality work and and trying to sort of um still perform at a high level you're getting um going out and, and sort of still trying to fuel that session well in terms of the sort of six to 12 hours before the session maybe during the session itself and and sort of um focusing on trying to use the you know, your fuel strategically around the sessions that you're doing and looking at the demands of those sessions to think about which ones you are going to fuel more um also it doesn't you know when it comes to weight loss it doesn't necessarily you don't have to necessarily be in a deficit every single day until you reach the goal that you want to yeah you know we can have if it's a heavy training day it could be a case of right okay i'm going to be in a deficit on five days a week um but on two days a week where you know i really want to go out and enjoy myself a bit more on the bike that's the times where you actually right okay i'm going to go back to maintenance calories and and you know rescue a bit of performance there and and sort of yeah hopefully have less of an impact on on training it's you know with with sort of weight loss it is the average of the weeks and the months that counts it's not your daily you know it it doesn't matter if you've had um sort of six days of deficit if one day a week is is, six thousand calories yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. is wiping that out um and equally it doesn't necessarily have to be um yeah it doesn't have to be every day in in a deficit to to still be able to make progress and, and influence performance so the one last thing i will say there is is you know in terms of sort of um during the session itself you know, caffeine can be quite an effective way of recovering some performance there. So if you've got um, someone that's really kind of, um, 
well, if, if, if you're going into that session fatigued because you haven't got the sort of best nutrition, you know, you're not consuming enough energy, um, then, then having some caffeine during that session or in the 30 to 40 minutes before can help sort of caffeine works by blocking fatigue receptors in the brain. And that can kind of help rescue a bit of performance, a bit of carbs while you're on, you know, sports drink or whatever, while you're doing, doing that session can then help to sort of help maintain performance without negatively impacting on, yeah, well, help help maintain performance yeah, in no, spite of the sense. deficit sort of thing. Yeah. That is a great answer. Thank you. That's exactly how I did it as well when it came to my, like, losing my weight. It was a matter of doing it gradually. So I aim to lose, like, a pound to two pound a week. So half a kilo a week, something like that. Some weeks I did, some weeks I didn't. But I tried to keep my calories as high as I could while still losing the weight. And I was the same. I tended to eat a little bit more on a weekend because you go out to restaurants and things like that. So I'd eat slightly less than I would have done for the average through the week and a little bit more on a weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, that was great. Just one other thing to mention there as well um, is that, you know, when it comes to sort of, you know, generally as athletes, we we talk about weight loss. We're not really interested in weight loss at all. We're interested in fat loss. You know, yeah. we don't want to necessarily be, you know, it, it's a pointless procedure to go through kind of weight loss and, and lose a few kilo of muscle. So uh, what we're really trying to do mm. is drive fat loss and, and where that kind of tissue comes from is dependent on a lot of different things. But one of the key things that we can do around sort of to try and drive fat loss rather than weight loss is to try and maintain training. Um, so that stimulus of, of resistance training, even on the bike, if you're doing short, sharp efforts that require a lot of power, that's very similar to kind of high rep, low weights in the gym, yeah. um, you know, by having that stimulus of, of kind of some resistance exercise and combining that with a higher intake of protein. So going back to what I said early on, sort of, you know, upwards of sort of the two grams per kg, that can sort of help to maintain as much muscle mass as possible. Um, protein has the benefit of, yeah, as I say, being, you know, a lot of foods with protein in a, a, a sort of quite filling. So that can help with the sort of maintaining the, the, the deficit, um, the, the thermic effect of feeding. So the energy is required for breaking down and digesting protein um, and also it helps to kind of maintain as much sort of muscle mass as possible so performance is, is maintained you know when we go into a deficit muscle protein synthesis so that that growth of new muscle tissue can be reduced by as much as sort of 25 percent. so you know adequate protein with training can help to, to sort of sort that yeah no perfect that's great um this next one's a specific one for you okay i'm training for my first marathon alongside mountain biking I've never used gels before. I'm also a sustainability manager in the NHS and don't want to use single-use gel packets. Is there an alternative I can make myself and carry it in a reusable container? Um, and then the last bit, she's saying thanks for my app. So as much as that'd be great to hype me up, I won't read that bit. <laughs> um, so what she's asking is she doesn't want to use gels because they're single-use plastics. What's an alternative? Yeah, so uh, effectively, there's. I'm sure there's plenty of kind of gel recipes out there effectively all a gel is is a, a kind of powdered form of carbohydrate either like glucose or maltodextrin maltodextrin is just glucose but loads of molecules of glucose stuck together um they both kind of deliver carbohydrate in in the same way um you can buy them powdered from you know a lot of pharmacies or a lot of your kind of online supplement stores all of gel that really is 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 kind of that powder with some water, often a preservative um, if it's in a packet for, for a couple of years. So, um, yeah, you can make them, you can make a gel. Effectively, all a gel is, is a concentrated version of a sports drink. Of course, yeah. So just having, you know, a scoop of some sort of, you know, some sort of carbohydrate-based powder, um, you know, maybe with a bit of some sort of flavor, whether that's squash or whatever, and, and a small amount of water to make it into a kind of concentrated drink. And, and you've got, you know, what a gel is effectively. Perfect. 
Euh, oui, 27 ans. Okay. Um, I usually put electrolyte powder in my water during the summer, but I also use cliff blocks as an energy chew. But cliff blocks also have electrolytes. Is it possible slash bad to put in too much electrolytes? I'm really glad you asked me this one because okay. it's it's kind of um, yeah the sort of research we don't really have a huge amount of research around the sort of requirements for electrolytes, um, and it's something that. You know, I've kind of, there's been a, um, a group over in Australia at Monash University that have published some work on this. You know, a guy basically realized that we didn't have a lot of evidence on it, dedicated his PhD and his work after that towards sort of looking at electrolytes for endurance athletes. And um, yeah, it, it kind of, um, there was a paper published fairly recently by them where they kind of modeled the requirement for electrolytes. Um, sodium is, is the kind of really the only electrolyte that we lose in, you know, sodium, which is salt effectively. Um, um, you know, is, is really the only electrolyte that we lose in any sort of quantity during exercise. So it's the main one that we that we kind of look to replace. Um, but effectively, with electrolytes, the the when we sweat, our sweat is hypertonic to plasma. So plasma is the water component within our blood. Hypertonic means it has less. So effectively, when we sweat, the the concentration of the sweat has less sodium in and more water than the plasma within our blood. Okay. Um, the reason for that is because the sweat ducts in our skin reabsorb the sodium to, to kind of maintain sodium levels within the body. So what that means is effectively as we exercise, we are actually increasing the concentration of, of sodium within our, within our blood plasma. Um, you know, so, so we're not really actually sort of, you know, so in terms of replacing electrolytes, it's not until, or sodium at least, it's not until we're actually consuming quite a large proportion of fluid um, and replacing the losses that we've had during that, that, that exercise activity that we have any sort of requirement for sort of actually consuming electrolytes during exercise. Now, there are a few sort of small benefits to, to taking on sodium during exercise. So um, having something salty stimulates thirst, which can then increase fluid intake, which can then, you know, if you're an athlete and you, you've ever sort of tried to replace mm. fluid during exercise, having that bit of salt in there can help to, um, yeah, help to drive a bit of thirst and sort of help you drink more, which then means you're going to replace more of the fluid and that's going to help offset dehydration. Yeah. Um, there is a, a small impact of, of sodium in terms of fluid absorption and retention. So having sort of salty stuff you know more of it stays within the system so you, you excrete less of it out as, as water but effectively you know going back to what i was saying this model that this this guy's come out with based on sort of you know the the quantities of sodium that we have within our sweat unless we're exercising for over four hours in duration um and unless we're looking to replace beyond 70 percent of what we've actually lost during exercise in terms of the fluid um which is you know potentially is only really applicable when sweat rates are fairly low because you know you there's, there's often times where we're exercising in the heat where the sweat rate that we're going at is is well in excess of what we'd you know you can't i've had a guy uh in my former job where we had an environmental chamber training for the marathon de sables he was at the end of his acclimation ready for the event itself he was sweating 2.7 liters per hour wow in, so you can imagine trying to drink 2.7 meters back is it yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I, I just you couldn't physically stomach that yeah volume of fluid yeah of course yeah 
So effectively, unless you're exercising for more than four hours, and unless you're replacing a very large proportion of the fluid that you're that you're losing, yeah. then there's there's little requirement other than sort of season to taste to actually replace oh, wow. electrolytes during exercise. Um, so yeah, eff- effectively, don't you know? Uh, don't really worry. You don't too need much. to add them. Uh, yeah, you know, for a oh, marathon, really yeah, you might be out for sort of three or four hours. Yeah, but the reality is, is you're probably not. You don't necessarily want to be replacing, you know, the the, the volume of fluid that you're losing during that time period. Mm. Um, generally, we always do not want to. Um, there's a condition called hyponatremia, which is where effectively we we dilute the electrolytes within our body, which is part of the reason why we get some justification for taking in sodium during exercise. But that is largely driven by excess fluid intake. So generally what we don't want to do is drink too much you know, beyond what we're losing, um, because otherwise that's going to lead to, you know, and that generally, if, if you're someone that's reasonably well-trained and, and working hard, that's kind of fairly unlikely to happen. Yeah. The cases of hyponatremia generally happen in very long events where people are out for a long period of time. Intensity is low. Sweat rates might not be super high, but there's kind of a lot of fluid intake. Yeah. Um, you know, the, there's been cases where people at marathon, you know, big city marathons have, have died of it. And generally it's not the guys in the sort of, well, it's not the people within the sort of first, 50% of it is generally those more towards the back running at a lower pace, but they're stopping at every drink station and, and, and drinking in excess of, right. of kind of fluid intake really. So um, yeah, effectively just, you know, if you're consuming some products with, with electrolytes in, then yeah, go for it. But, but otherwise don't really worry too much about yeah salt intake. Ah, that's really interesting because I, as an absolute rule, I'll go out in the winter, I just take a water bottle, always put an electrolyte tablet in it, even just for a couple of hour ride around here. So I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, to be honest, the, the, one of the things with the electrolyte tablets is often it's just the kind of the, a lot of people use them. I think just for the palatability side of things, having yeah, it is something a nicer that taste. tastes a bit yeah. nicer. Um, is, is but a then to I do, do find that it almost feels like it dehydrates me more. Obviously, it doesn't necessarily dehydrate me more, but I get thirstier in the evening for sure. Even though if I go out on a day like today, I'm not sweating that much when I have that electrolyte tablet. I am much the more thirsty for the next two or three hours. So no, that's good to know. Yeah. And in terms of, well, just to touch on sort of the cramp side of things, a lot of people talk about electrolytes for cramp. There's not a really solid link between the two. Okay. Um, there's a lot of other reasons why you can potentially get cramps, which yeah. So, so there's not, yeah, not a lot of need for, for sodium from that perspective either. Perfect. Oh, that's great. Here's a funny one. You don't have to answer this one. <laughs> At Christmas, do pizza and beer calories count? <laughs> Although this has come out in January, actually. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's obviously going to count. Um, you know, the reality is with Christmas that, you know, a couple of days of, of, of excess. Um, again, it's I think often athletes will kind of, you know, they'll, they'll hyper-focus in on one area of diet. So one meal or one bit of food that they eat, um, forgetting about the rest of the time. It's kind of... Yeah, the, the the sort of analogy people like to use is kind of it's like mowing the lawn while the while the house is on fire. Yeah. What I'd say is like, don't worry too much about what you do at Christmas. Worry what you do for the other twelve months of the year. Of course, yeah. So yeah, now perfect. That's really good. It'll be too late for everybody now. I think this comes out about January eighth. I think this podcast comes out. Okay, great. So yeah, people should be smashing it when they're listening to this. <laughs> um, right, last one. Uh, what's the easiest way to eat healthy meals that take little time to prep? I'll answer this one first because I won't bore you with the details, but I'm going through like a 
busy period of life now now where Sophie's granddad's in hospital, the house has been upside down. So one thing that I've been doing and I generally do is buy the salad pots from Tesco or co-op this morning. And when I say salad pots, I mean like, um, you know, you can get the pasta spinach like with pine nuts in and then I get a separate one, which would be, what have I got upstairs? Little new potatoes and a little bit of yogurt, some couscous. I tend generally buy four of those and then some cooked meat if I've not cooked it myself and then that'll be a ready-made lunch i've got one for today yeah. is it as good as me making my own meal no because there's more additives more salt more that but then compared to having a microwave pizza obviously they're a million miles better um you're welcome to give your opinion on what i've just said as well um and then yeah obviously you can answer yeah, the question trying to kind of engineer your environment so you're making you know it's it's easy to make those kind of choices that are going to support your goals is is you know having a freezer full of meals that you've cooked that you know the kind of composition of them um you know if you've got a bit more money even going to kind of there's a whole host of kind of meal prep companies yeah. out there now there's there's ways of getting kind of healthy foods that are um yeah, uh, that are easily accessible, don't require the kind of, you know, you don't necessarily, you know, you don't have to cook every meal from scratch for it to to be healthy. Yeah. Um, you know, it could be a case of just having a few backup options that, you know, even if you've got, I don't know, a Tesco down the road and you know that when I go in there, okay, there's some fish cakes that are, you know, they're, they're fine. I can get some, you know, some green veg to go with that. And that's, you know, that's a meal that takes 10 minutes to prepare. Um, you know, just, yeah, having, the, having that plan be, they're ready to go um, and having thought about it before the time where you need to make that decision yeah. um, is, is probably key to helping yeah, with those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. No, that's ideal. Well, like I say, I could definitely keep asking you questions for the next hour. We'll have to get you on again. I think I asked you about half of the ones I had written down. So we'll <laughs> have to get you on for round much, two. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. definitely not. It's interesting. It's such a massive topic, isn't it, at the end of the day? Um, I can guarantee that people listening to this might want to work with you. They want to hear some more information about you. So what what's the best way for people to follow you to get in touch with you? Yeah, so... Um... I sort of, I'm, I'm fairly active on Instagram. So Ben Price Nutrition, um, yeah, that kind of has all the links to the, to the relevant stuff as well. Um, if you're looking for more help, I'm either, yeah, I, I work with people directly or we also have, um, yeah, a friend of mine, Chris, who's, who's also a sports nutritionist. Um, we've developed um, something called Fuel the Ride Academy, which is a kind of, online uh, nutrition sort of coaching and education platform specifically aimed at cycle sports so road cyclists mountain bikers you know whatever you do um and that's yeah worth checking out as well so again fuelthereideacademy.com perfect so the working with you one-to-one that's yep. one-to-one yep. the fuel the ride academy am i right in thinking that that's something that people sign up to and then go through at their own pace yeah so we've got sort of um we've, we've basically created a well, Chris has created a program whereby, um, yeah, we take you through kind of all of the key aspects of nutrition that you need to know as an athlete. We tried to kind of cut it down so it's it's what you need, um, and it's sort of de- delivered through uh, an online training platform. So there's you kind of sign up for six months. There's there's you know it's really for those that want kind of the more in depth stuff um, and want to go at it you know a decent level. Um, but we've created all the resources and all the sort of stuff you need to be able to do, you know, sort your nutrition out yourself and optimize it for, for you as a a sort of cycle sport athlete. So on top of the kind of course and the videos, we've got a community. um, We host weekly webinars so you can ask questions and, and, you know, so there's a degree of support in there as well alongside, you know, the videos to watch. So um, yeah, we've, we've made it specific for cycle sport athletes. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, I'll leave all the links to that under YouTube or in the podcast app wherever you're listening. Um, But it's been a fascinating night minute so thank you so much for coming on no worries at all thanks for having me cheers